Hi, I'm Sean McDonald, publisher of MCD. And I'm Hector Tobar, author of The Last Great Roadbum. And this is Wellversed. So, Hector, hello. Um, we've been working together for a very long time now. And I was just thinking about how the first book we worked on together was a nonfiction book called Translation Nation. And the New York Times called that book uh, something like Che Guevara's Motorcycle Diaries crossed with Alexi de Tocqueville. And it occurred to me that that, in some ways, is an accurate description of The Last Great Road Bum, too, that there's this, um, there's the radical politics, there's the, well, the road trip quality of the story, and um, the, this this sort of tour of America and a kind of expl explication of, of the ideals. And I don't know, does that seem seem right to you? Do you feel like we, we've we've come back around to that that project? Or has that always been the Hector Tobar project? Well, yeah, I, I really feel um, now that you mentioned it, that that book really, um, A Translation Nation, in many ways foreshadows um, some of the themes and the concerns of, of this book, of, of The Last Great uh, Road Bum. Uh, you know, in Translation Nation, I traveled across the United States, and it was basically me learning my country, you know, born an American, carry a U.S. passport, and um, I, I sort of learned, uh, you know, uh, in that book how, how incredibly diverse and interesting the United States is as a country, and this book, uh, The Last Great Road Bum, is about discovering the world, right, through the eyes of Joe Sanderson. Joe Sanderson leaves Urbana, Illinois, and heads off into the world um, and um, discovers uh, you know, civil wars and revolutions and, uh, you know, beautiful people all over the world. So, uh, and definitely the politics, you know, uh, I was the protagonist of Translation Nation, someone who had been raised by a radical lefty dad. Uh, and Joe is from a Republican family, but becomes a radical lefty, you know, through the things that he sees uh, in the world. So there's definitely a lot of parallels between the two works. Um I will admit that I was, and we'd been talking about it, but still, I was surprised when when you described this as as your next project. Though it all it all makes sense to me when when we follow Joe in into the mountains and in, in El Salvador, and he becomes a gorilla. But um, I was curious if you could talk a little bit about how you came to the project and um, you know why it felt like your your next book uh, after Deep Down Dark. Well, yeah, actually, um, you know, I started working on this um, a two books ago, you know, I, I, in 2008, I was still a, a correspondent for the LA times in Mexico city. And one of my, um, areas of responsibility was central America. And, you know, it's one of the secrets of being a foreign correspondent is that you have help. And so I had a fixer, uh, an assistant based in San Salvador who would call me every week with story ideas. And one day he called me and said, Hey, I went over to the museum of the revolution and talk to this guy, Santiago, that was his nom de guerre, uh, the guy who ran the rebel radio station during the El Salvadoran Civil War. And he told me about this diary that of this gringo. You know, his name was Lucas. That was Joe Sanderson's nom de guerre, Lucas. And hey, you know, that sounds to me like an interesting story. And I immediately thought uh, Che Guevara, Motorcycle Diaries, you know, uh, Che Guevara's Bolivian diary, uh, you know, Che goes into the mountains of Bolivia in 1967 to start a revolution, leaves behind this diary. And I thought, man, there must be a story in that. So I wrote a story about it for the LA Times and toyed around with the idea afterwards of writing a nonfiction book. 
But um, the nonfiction proposals that I wrote never really seemed to fully come alive. He always seemed kind of pathetic um, because, you know, he's a guy trying to write books and never succeeds in writing them. Um, and the stories that were written about Joe right after he died also made him seem kind of pathetic. There was an article in Mother Jones talks about him as being this lonely figure. And so I put it aside for a while, finished our novel, The Barbarian Nurseries, uh, which came out in 2011. And then as I was about to start again on my Joe Sanderson project, I was called and reached, uh, you know, about the Chilean Miners project. I completed that book. And so finally, when I got back to working on Joe's book, uh, it seemed to me um, that uh, I really wanted it to be a novel. Because as I look deeper into Joe's story, you know, here's a novel, here's a guy who spent his life trying to write novels, all of them unpublishable, you know, very difficult to read. I don't think I've ever managed to read more than maybe a chapter or so of each one of his novels. And who, um, you know, eventually goes around the world trying to be a character in a novel, doing all sorts of crazy things and can never write it. And so I thought, well, I'm a novelist. <laughs> you know, I've been published. My novels have been translated. I really, I must be an artist still. Maybe I should uh, tackle this as a work of art. And so I dove into it. And, you know, one of the lessons you learn from writing novels is that you have to write about the complete person. You have to be, you have to know the whole person. And so I took a deep dive into Joe Sanderson's life and went all the way back to his boyhood in Urbana, Illinois. And what was the level of your your personal connection with Joe? I mean, you still, you just referred to it as Joe's novel. Mm. But did you feel, I don't know, did you see parts of yourself in him? Did you see the way he traveled as something that you've done or wanted to do? or? You know, with those adventures, his way of trying to write a novel, did that seem just bonkers to you? Um, well, as a as someone now uh, in his 50s and someone who's written uh, five books, yeah, the way he tried to go about writing a novel was bonkers. Um, <laughs> but um, but I really did identify with him as a 20 year old. You know, I mean, that's the kind of 20 and 30 year old I would have been if I wasn't if I was crazy, you know, if I didn't have any inhibitions, I would have been somebody like Joe Sanderson. And maybe if I was also kind of a white boy from a university family uh, who didn't have to worry about the pressure of uh, impressing his immigrant father and immigrant mother and living up to their expectations. You know, so Joe, Joe, um, Joe routinely frustrated his parents and, um, and frustrated them again and again. And it's really interesting because in the course of the novel, I think I identify with Joe's mom as much as I identified with Joe. And so I really had a lot of fun writing about her own sort of frustrations with her college age son who drops out of college. But yeah, I think I saw, I saw in Joe really, the thing I most identified with was his joie de vivre, you know, his just absolutely um, uh, un, unflappable sort of, you know, um, the, uh, um, the, the unflappable way he approached traveling to all these crazy places. And also um, his his sort of sense of humor. I really, really enjoyed his sense of humor. And if you notice in the book, you know, his the wry sense of humor of his letters, which, you know, to me, you know, it's this incredible cache of letters, um, is really, you know, I'm doing my best to sort of keep up with him. You know, we're kind of riffing off of each other. And I, right. I came to think of it like that. It's like this collaboration with a dead man. You know, he's <laughs> he, he left behind all of these great riffs. 
that are just a total mess. The whole, you know, mess, the whole thing is a mess, but my job is to bring order to it and also riff myself. So I, I like that we were riffing together, you know, as human beings and as observers of the craziness of society. And are you uh, well versed in, you know, the likes of, of Kerouac and the sort of great road novels that everyone refers to? Or is that something you came to came to now? Well, you know, I read On the Road um, again as I was writing this book and um, had to make sure that I read On the Road, you know. Um, and it was a really lovely work, Kerouac's uh, uh, book. Um, although I, I did read, you know, Truman Capote referring to it as that's not writing, it's typing, right? <laughs> and so there's a kind of rough quality. But to me, it feels really like a documentary work, which, you know, jives a lot with um, with with um, the, the Last Great Road Bum and Joe's project. Um, the thing, too, about On the Road is how much is hidden. You know, there's a whole homosexual love story going on in there uh, between two of the characters that's completely closeted. And, and so, you know, uh, Joe's book is written in the here and now. We live in this time when, you know, all of these barriers have been broken. Uh, we live in a time when, um, you know, feminism has really changed the way we think about our relationships, but also about art and literature, right? And so I, that, that was part of the challenge of it. You know, it's like, oh, I mean, it would have been a boring book if I had tried to write it a little bit, just completely from Joe's perspective. So how can I step out? How can I be the women that Joe fell in love with? How can I be his mother? How can I be those, those third world peoples, you know, that he met? I have to, I have to be them. I have to be them, which is something that Kerouac didn't do. Kerouac meets, for example, and on the road, he meets this Mexican woman in California, Mexican American woman and has an affair with her. And then she leaves the book. We don't really know much about her. She sort of is a very, very shallow, there's a, it's a shallow portrait of her in the book. In the, t- in the years since, actually, uh, a California writer did actually write a novel from her perspective. Um, and so, you know, the world has changed. So that was part of that, that was a big part of it. Although, you know, those books are just this powerful American tradition. The other book that I, you know, that uh, for me, the great, the greatest road book is, you know, Huckleberry Finn. Oh, right. And, you know, and finding all sorts of um, just, just building on that tradition to me was, was a lot of fun and also taking it in new directions. Absolutely. And I think, I think you can feel that for sure. Um, what, um, was it a complicated decision for you to to write this book about Joe Sanderson, you know, white guy, like, did, did you feel like you were, I don't know, take, taking a strange turn at all, or did it feel, feel like it would be easy and natural? It always felt like I was committing a transgression, but not a transgression against Joe, you know, uh, although there were times when I thought I'm stealing his story. And actually Joe says that in the book, <laughs> he says this Guatemalan guy is, is stealing my story. Um, but I just, yeah, I was committing a transgression against, against what I was supposed to be doing and that I was going out into this territory that was really dangerous, you know, writing a novel about a white guy. And, um, but at the same time, that's what I liked about it. You know, I liked the challenge of just, of, of Urbana in the 1950s because, I can sort of feel it. I could sort of feel Urbana in the 50s and 60s because I grew up in the late 60s and I can feel the media of the time. I can just feel the optimism of the time. I remember that really vividly. Those are my earliest memories 
of of the United States are of this you know country of incredible optimism and kind of an innocence too. And right. so it felt like something that I that I had a little bit of ownership with. I could own that story too. At the same time that it felt like, you know, um, that people would be questioning, you know, why are you spending your time doing this? You know, we need you to be writing about uh, Guatemala or El Salvador or some village in Mexico. Why are you, why are you dedicating this time? It just seemed like almost like I was engaged in this sort of um, luxurious kind of wasteful behavior of my, of my time. Um, so, but, you know, I, I just always felt like there was something there that I could hold on to, which was Joe and being a boy in the United States. And that boy, his boyhood to me was something that I really reveled in maybe a little bit too much at first. I had to sort of scale it back a little, but yeah, so I, it, it was, it was something that I did feel like I was going out on a little bit of a limb. Yeah. One of my favorite parts of the book has always been the, the interplay between Joe as character and you as author, which actually ends up taking, taking place a little bit in the, sort of the margins, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, which obviously leads to, you know, wondering about what you brought up earlier about the nature of it being a novel and, and what kind of allegiance you felt to Joe. And, um, you know, you've talked about the letters, um, but what, when you decided it was fiction, was that, was that liberating or did you continue to feel this kind of obligation to Joe? And, and I know you also have stayed in touch with his family. And Yeah, it was absolutely liberating to, to write from, to write it as fiction, just because then I, then I could, um, I could enter into the experience as a kind of dream. And so I'm trying to recreate the dream of being this American boy and then later this American man. So it was completely liberating. At the same time, you know, in this novel, perhaps more than any other novel I've written, I really did work a lot as a journalist. You know, I did a ton of research. I interviewed Joe's 100-year-old father, Milt Sanderson, for like four days. I spent with, four days with this man in Pennsylvania. Wonderful! It was wonderful. And it was also really important for him to unburden himself because, you know, he lost his son when his son was 39 years old and lost his son uh, at a relatively young age. And he had a lot to unburden himself uh, of. Um, and so, you know, every place I, I, went, I visited in the novel, I tried to recreate and to be really precise and I, I think I, I, I've never really quite worked that way completely. of trust trying to be so, so precise, and especially in places that are really far away from my own experience, you know. Um, so, but, but the whole novel part of it, that was definitely the beating heart of it. Just, I am going to become this person. And, um, and it really did seem to flow once I got going. Absolutely. And I just, you know, you become, when you write a novel, you become the person. Um, and so I, I became Joe and, um, it was, it was a tremendous amount of fun. And when I had to, you know, when, when the, at the end of the novel, when I had to say goodbye to Joe without giving, well, I guess it is pretty clear that he's died. Um, you know, I cried, I cried when I had to, when I wrote the last sentence, Joe's last sentence. Um, and, and so, yeah, it was, it was quite, it was a really wonderful emotional process. When people have asked me, um, you know, about how you, you rose to the challenge of, of writing about Joe. I, my sort of flippant response is, has always been that with your last book, you, you had 33 main characters. So, you know, writing a book from, from just one was, was sort of a cakewalk, but, um, do you feel like, like, did the deep down dark experience make this book possible or, you know, like, did it prepare you in special ways? Do you think? Oh, absolutely. You know, I think that, that writing from, uh, from the perspective of those 33 men, 
it just taught me so much about working life, you know, about the lives of working men. It taught me a lot about my process too, um, about how much empathy is involved and how much listening, you know? Um, and so um, that book, the research of it, you know, um, recreating this Chilean mine. I, I'd been in, I went into a Chilean mine once, but just the 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 fact that I could create that I could create this convincing because it seemed to be convincing to a lot of readers. You know, the the book did well. It really gave me a lot of confidence. Absolutely, you know, um, confidence is extremely important when you're a writer and you're going into new and unknown terrain. And so, having been able to tackle that, to tackle that book, um, and the hugeness of it. Um, gave me the confidence to tackle the hugeness of Joe's story. You know, I mean, here's a story that doesn't just involve the war in El Salvador, which is, you know, a, a big enough uh, challenge, but also Vietnam and, uh, you know, the Korean demilitarized zone and Rwanda and Nigeria and Biafra and Urbana and all these places. Um, yeah, I would say I, I wouldn't have been able to do it if I hadn't done the Chilean Miners book first. You mentioned that you were you were sad to leave behind writing about Joe and, and sort of, and being Joe. Um, and I'm curious, do you still miss any of, of being Joe and, and what was it that you felt like you were abandoning, I guess, you know, when you were done with, with the story? Yeah. You know, the thing is when you write a book, it becomes part of your family. And so it's like this kid that lives with you and you spend and you're, and you're raising the kid, you know, and you have an idea for the kid and then the kid arrives and you start to work on him. <laughs> you make him. And then it's time for him to go out into the world. And so what I really miss about, um, about Joe is being with him every day and having him be part of my life and that daily um, ambition to want to recreate him. It just, it's a place that you go and you spend, you know, our lives are finite. And I spent a, a chunk of it, uh, you know, being Joe Sanderson, getting up at five o'clock in the morning, um, you know, trying to fit him into my crazy life. Uh, for much of the time I wrote the novel, I was commuting back and forth between Los Angeles and Oregon, where I was a professor at the University of Oregon. So, you know, it's like those moments that, uh, and you know, you know, you have with your children, they're so precious. And in the end, the, the important thing is not, the important thing is not like, you know, where they end up as kids, what jobs they get, what schools they get into. The important thing to you is the time you spend with them. It's also important to them as kids. But, but and so to me that it's like the time I spent with Joe is precious. Was precious to me. It was a beautiful experience, and especially since I was able to see it through to the end, and uh, I was successful to the extent that it was actually finished, and that you're publishing it. <laughs> you know, um, uh, you know, um, it's just it was a wonderful experience to. I, I see who I was before I started to tackle the, 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 you know, the novel and all the expectations I had for it and all the places I thought it could go. And some things turned out pretty close to what I imagined and other things uh, didn't quite turn out the way I expected. Um, but it was a good experience in my life. And I'm, I, I'll always, I'll always treasure those uh, three or four years I spent with Joe Sanderson. And we're obviously publishing into a very strange moment in the world you know, both with COVID and, and um, you know, the feeling of, of revolution in the air, but it certainly contrasts with the way you were describing the world, the world Joe grew up in. Um, and, you know, I can't imagine you feel thrilled about publishing into our, you know, pandemic environment. Um, it's a, 
a hard time to be putting things out there, but how do you feel about the way, you know, Joe's moment and Joe as a character speaks to, to our moment now? Are you feeling energized by that or worried or? Um, I, I have to say that I feel um, energized because I feel energized by where the country is. You know, I think that the 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 spring that we saw, the what I you know, our African American spring, our spring of the Black Lives Movement, um, really showed a lot of what's best in the American people. You know, just so many so many new people becoming aware of their own blind spots. You know, about racism and about violence in this country, and about how violence is inflicted on people of color. Um, you know, I saw that here in my neighborhood. I live in a pretty middle class part of Los Angeles, and to see neighbors, to see my white neighbors putting, you know, spray painting Black Lives Matter on their own driveways, <laughs> you know, or putting up huge posters, that makes me hopeful because that's actually this that that the premise of my novel is an open-minded, curious, and empathic readership, right? That's the premise of of my work as a novelist is that there will be people who want to go to these places, that there'll be Salvadoran kids who will, you know, who will be patient enough to go into Urbana, Illinois in the 50s so they can read their novel about the Salvadoran revolution, or that there'll be people in Urbana, Illinois, who will identify with Joe enough and will, will follow their curiosity into this war in El Salvador, you know? So the novel has always been about bridge building. And this is a bridge building moment. You know, that the whole premise of the novel was to build a bridge between Urbana and Morasan province in San Salvador in El Salvador. And so I'm I'm hopeful, you know. Um, we've all been thrust into this period of reflection. Uh, we've been uh we've been forced to uh, think about our family relationships. We've been thrown in with with family in confined spaces, many of us. And and for most of us, it um apart from the economics of the situation. I think a lot of us are discovering, um, you know, these really, um, these really um, just beautiful relationships that we have um, that and realizing that we, you know, we've been handed a time where we can, can cultivate them a little bit more than we would have otherwise, you know. So um, I'm just I, I'm, I'm hopeful because I think America has been uh, accidentally thrust into this moment of reflection and empathy. And what else could a novelist want? Uh, you know, besides millions of people who want to want to to want to learn about the lives of others, right? Do you think Joe's story could exist now, or um, or maybe alternatively, like you know, how would how would Joe respond to this moment? Well, yeah, that's why the novel is called "The Last Great Road Bum," because it's really about the end of an era, and it just isn't possible right now, and it hasn't been for what twenty years to hitchhike across. Afghanistan and Pakistan, and it hasn't been possible to talk your way into a war zone. I mean, you know, what Joe did um, in Vietnam and what Joe did in San Salvador, um, you know, something that you, it very, very, he crossed so many barriers and also took advantage of living in this moment of, of optimism and kind of innocence. You know, a lot of this book, when I was writing it, felt to me a lot like an international version of Catch Me If You Can, right? The uh, the the Leonardo DiCaprio Spiel, Spielberg movie, right? Based on the con man who talks his way into all these crazy places, and and a lot of what that movie is about is about how open minded people were in the 1960s in the United States, and how 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 easily they could be sort of you know fooled. 
uh, by this by this teenage con man. And Joe lived in that kind of world too. He lived in a place where, in a time when people, um, you know, looked at blonde haired, blue eyed guys from the you know Midwest and thought, "Wow, what a cool guy!" You know, and gave and, and opened opened their homes, right? And and that world is you know has changed. That world isn't isn't around anymore. You you just can't travel so much uh, as you used to. You can't embark on these kinds of adventures. We're all too much aware of the dangers. You know, and I put that line in the novel. I said that in one of the footnotes, Joe remarks how young people today, they know how dangerous the world is. They've seen these bloody images on their television over and over again. Um, whereas, you know, in that time, people people still could had a little bit of blinders on about what was going on in the rest of the world. Have you talked to to your kids about Joe? Do they have a, a take on Joe? Um, well, you know, when you write a novel, your family basically is along for the ride. And so they have heard, oh, I would say maybe a few hundred Joe Sanderson stories at this point. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, I think, uh, uh, those, my, my oldest son is reading the novel right now and, and I, he's found a lot in it that he really appreciates. Um, but yeah, I think that they're, I think they're ready to see, their father move on to something else actually. <laughs> and they're And, you know, the thing is too, uh, you know, the books are about to arrive and all of that. And so it's going to be this another, another sort of like focus on, on dad. And so uh, it's um, it's when you're a dad, you realize it's, you have to sort of turn the camera away from yourself. And so I'm, I'm, I, I'm, 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 I'm really anxious to work on the next project quietly, silently. <laughs> without telling them about it yeah right and i know you and your son are about to to hit the road for a road trip and um does that do you think that will have any joe sanderson's qualities to it or do you well you know we took a a a cross-country road trip um not too long ago um a couple years ago while i was writing this book and um that was an educational experience really um because you you know we drove from los angeles to new york and you just realize how absolutely huge the United States is and how really it is several countries uh, wrapped into one. And so I'm looking forward to uh, taking a slightly different route this time and discovering other countries within the country called the United States of America. Um, yeah, road trips are wonderful. Road trips are transformative in so many ways. You know, um, uh, the one thing I take away from, from uh, cross-country road trips is you realize how two distant places that we are now see, you know, connected like in Zoom, really have this physical connection that's made up of bridges and rivers that you have to span and mountain ranges. And so being in touch with the physicality of our connections is, is really um, a wonderful experience. It's, it's very important to, to, so that we realize you know, where we stand as human beings. Uh, well, I hope, yeah, I hope your road trip lives up to that. I think that about covers it for for our time. And um, thank you, Hector, for for taking the time to to talk to me about it. I hope that you know we piqued people's interest because this is this is such an amazing and delightful, wonderful book that was so much fun to work on with you and and to navigate all those things about fiction and nonfiction and who gets to tell what story and all those all those big questions that we've been working through the last couple of years. And um, and I agree, it's it's a sort of a weird but thrilling time to publish it when it feels like, you know, so many of these questions are so urgent feeling and um, it feels rare that a novel, you know, gets to really dig into that. And so I'm excited to see what happens. 
So thank you, Hector. And um, once again, I'm Sean McDonald, publisher of, of MCD. And I'm Hector Tobar, author of The Last Great Road Bum. And this is Well Versed. Thank you very much for joining us. Mm-hmm.